Okay. Well, in the last few months of 2012, we, we worked our way through the book of James, and that was encouraging, wasn't it? Did anybody enjoy James? I enjoyed preaching it. I, I thoroughly enjoyed getting into that. Well, now we're going to start looking at, we finished James, start looking at some of the things that Jesus said throughout the Gospels. We're looking at this through till Easter, and um, today we're going to look at the church, and if we could look at Matthew 16, uh, verses 13 to 24, that would be great. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by, my, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the, the, the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and to take up their cross and follow me. Once again, as is my habit now, really, um, I've got three points just to hang my comments on. The foundation of the church, the passion of the church, and the purpose of the church. The foundation of the church. Throughout much of Christian history, these few verses I've just read have been a source of controversy and difficulty. And today the issue of the foundation of the church is fundamental to our understanding of God and his purposes. It all hinges on the various interpretations of the phrase, on this rock. Some have said that the rock on which the church is founded was Peter. Others have argued that the rock was Peter's confession of who Jesus is, saying that the faith that Peter confessed was the foundation of the church. And still others have seen this reference to the rock as a reference to Christ himself as the foundation of the church. Now this is one of those times that an understanding of Greek is helpful. Anybody understand Old Testament Greek or New Testament Greek, sorry? No, neither do I. Okay. But I'm reliably informed that in the Greek the Bible was written in, it has Jesus using two slightly different words that are both translated in English as rock. Okay, the two words are Petros and Petra. And these two words, the first one refers to, to Peter, okay, and it means a stone, okay, a rock, a boulder, something that's movable. 
And the second one, Petra, re, re, re speaks of bedrock, like a mountain, like, like the, 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 the um, Barbara in the gene read, you know, where the guy digs around, he digs down to bedrock to build his house. Okay? That's, that's the Petra one. Petros is this movable stone. And he says to Peter, you are a rock. A, a movable stone. Peter's just declared that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And, and so he says, you didn't come to that conclusion on your own, did you? That understanding has come to you. It's been given to you by the Father. It's come to you by revelation. He, he knew something he'd never known before. He'd seen it. Suddenly he understood. Here's Jesus, the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Son of God, God himself, third person of the Trinity. It's all there. He sees it. And so he says, Peter, you're a rock. You're a solid guy. But on this rock, speaking of himself and the revelation of who he is, I will build my church. Jesus alone is the rock on which the church is established and stands. But the building of the church comes with the revelation of who Jesus is. The issue for us is not all sorts of stuff about evolution and creation and all the questions that people ask. The simple question is, who is Jesus? Wherever you go, the question of who is Jesus is the pivotal question in all the earth. You can talk to other religions. People say, oh, he was a good man, he was a prophet. Some people in the UK will say, well, yeah, he was a nice guy, seemed to be. Some people don't believe he existed. The question is this, who is Jesus? Because if he's an ordinary guy... He's irrelevant. But if Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, who came from heaven, if Jesus is the Christ, if Jesus is the second person of the Trinity who died and gave his life for us, then that transforms everything. That is the question and that is the answer. You are the Christ. That is why. What do we proclaim? We proclaim Christ and him crucified. We don't proclaim good works. We don't proclaim God loves you, although God does. All of that's very nice. Thank you very much. But we have to say, no, we lift up Christ. Jesus said, as Moses lifted up that snake in the wilderness, if the man, son of God, be lifted up, he will draw all men. We lift up Jesus. We proclaim the name of Jesus. He's the reason for everything we do. I loved what Lucy said about Jesus dancing over Teesside. The only answer for Teesside is Jesus. You can have all the good works you like. You can have all the, the good intentions and the caring for the poor and needy, all of which is admirable. But Teesside needs Jesus. That's it. Teesside needs Jesus. The church is the only thing that Jesus said he would build. He had many promises and he did many things, but there's only one thing Jesus said he would build. And Jesus is an excellent builder. He builds the church. And he promises that the gates of Hades, the gates of hell itself, will never overcome the church that he builds. 
Nothing from the pit of hell can prevent this glorious church that the King of Kings is building. Why? Because the King of Kings has defeated sin and death and hell. The enemy is dealt with. So there's nothing that Jesus builds will ever be hindered, put off, destroyed, dismembered, taken apart by the devil. The gates of hell, anything, the hordes of hell can come running through those gates into the world. They will never stop the church. They will never prevent its growth. That's what he's saying. And you know what I find? I've been saying this to to church leaders quite a bit lately. Sometimes Jesus builds his church in spite of us. We have such good ideas Oh, I think this and I think that and it should be this. You know what? Some things we manage to do in church life, we make a pig's ear of. But Jesus builds his church anyway. In the midst of our imperfection, in the midst of our struggling, Jesus is awesome. I do have confidence, absolute confidence, that the church will prosper and grow and be effective. Why? Because Jesus is building us, and Jesus does all things well. Years ago, when I was in Bedford, I fell into the trap of mixing with some other leaders who said, Oh, I've got this great guy who speaks on prayer. We really need to do something in the town, and we'll do it at Brickhill in our building, because we had a big building, and I said yes. And oh, how I regretted it, because the guy came... And we'd advertised it and everything. And he stood up and he said, unless this church prays more, it won't be here in 10 years. And I was furious. Rubbish. Yes, we should pray. But the church does not depend. The future of the church does not depend on how much we pray or not. It's the only thing. Many things do, but the church doesn't because Jesus is building his church. Do do you get me? Plus, you never motivate anybody to anything through threats, just by grace. I have every confidence. It was over ten years ago that that guy said that, and I'm sure we didn't pray enough. But you know what? Since I left that church, probably something about me, they've grown by well over a hundred people. I've got two services on a Sunday morning, grown by well over a hundred people. Praise God! That's what I say. I praise God, and and they continue to grow. God's doing something amazing. All the churches in Bedford are growing. Just God moved me out of it before I got a piece of it. But never mind. I helped lay a foundation, which is Christ. So what is the church? The church is the dwelling place of God on the earth. The church, according to to Peter in 1 Peter 2.9, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're a people who belong to God. Church is not something we attend, it's something we're a part of. There isn't such thing as a Christian who is not part of the church. That's just just not true. Everyone who's born again is part of this community that God is building. And it says that we as living stones are being built together into a dwelling fit for the King of Kings. 
I, I just like that. As I was preparing, I realized that thing of being built together as living stones. It's a bit like living rocks, isn't it? Peter, you're a rock of a guy. Well, I'm, I'm taking lots of rocks and living stones, and I'm building something. I'm putting something together. And you know what? They're not, they're not bricks. Be easier to build if there were bricks, wouldn't it? All the same shape and size and everything. Wouldn't it be boring if everybody was my shape and size? Wouldn't it be boring if everybody was the same and had the same desires and the same motivations and the same skills? Wouldn't it be boring? But God takes us all shape, size, rough edges, living stones, living, living rocks, and he says, I'm building you together into this wonderful thing called the church. Each one with a part to play. Each one key and relevant and vital for this glorious church to be my dwelling place on the earth. That's what the church is. There's nobody here this morning who's not part of that. He said, well, I don't know if I'm a Christian yet. I tell you what, you will be. That's why you're here. Because he's drawing you into something. Just before I get to my second point, just a word about Peter. Because, you see, some people believe, and I'm not having a go at the Roman Catholics, but they believe that the church was built on Peter, and that's why you have a pope who is infallible, and so on. Well, I just wanted to touch that a little bit, because, and I'm not scoring points, I'm just trying to be biblical, but, you know, Peter was actually a very fallible guy called by God, just as we are. He was an increasingly key guy in God's purposes as the rest of the disciples became and as God calls us to be. But he was very fallible even after Jesus said this to him. I'm so glad that the church of Jesus Christ is not built upon a fallible guy but rather on the infallible, perfect Son of God who's our rock. And just to emphasize Peter's fallibility, I think it's interesting that these, this all flows together. Jesus starts explaining to the disciples how he's going to suffer and die on a cruel cross and then be raised to life on the third day. And Peter's response, this, this rock of a man, this guy who's so important, he took Jesus aside and said, never, Lord. <laughs> right? This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turns back to Peter, get behind me, Satan. How many of you want Jesus to say that to you? Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Wow. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You know, so often in church leadership and in church leadership circles, we finish up, if we're not careful, trying to run the church with human concerns, human wisdom, human goals, human activity. And we say it's a bit like a business. Well, the church is not a business. It's the dwelling place of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We need wisdom. We need to build well. We need all of that. But you know how we build? We listen to the master builder and do what he says. That's how we build the church. That's how we play our part. We, we hear his voice and do it. That's why you can have huge people who are really significant leaders in the church who are not terribly gifted. What I mean by that is they'd never make it in business. They'd never make it in, in, in all sorts of settings. But they have one thing to their advantage. They've got ears that hear God. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said. That's the secret. 
listen to Jesus, do what he says, and watch him build the church. I'm not clever enough to do it any other way anyway, but I don't believe anybody is. Jesus builds his church. I'll finish this point with this. There's a great old hymn written by a guy called Samuel Stone in the mid-1800s. Here are some of the words. The church is one foundation. Anybody ever sung this? Few of you, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. She is from every nation, yet one or all the earth. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakers, partakes one holy food, and to one and to one hope she presses with every grace endued. The truth is Jesus is the foundation of the church. From the day he started to build her, he's still our foundation. Hallelujah. So good. He's the focus of our attention. It's wonderful. Okay, and now my second point, the passion of the church. Don't know if you're a passionate people. Anybody got any passion in the room? I wanted to. The rest are passionless, I'm presuming. Depends how you define passion, okay, but believe it or not, I'm, I'm a man of more passion than I look as though I have. Does that make sense? I was going to say ask Jean, but I don't mean... I, I just... You see, to have passion is to be consumed by. Do, do, you know, I, I, I remember in the early days... I'm going to get into trouble. But in the early days, going out with Jean, I mean, it was just... It's like heaven on earth. <laughs> Changed eventually. But it... it <laughs> It's like heaven and earth, there was a passion. There was, she consumed my thinking and my thoughts and my, and you know what? Great. I, I just, sorry. I, I just realized, I was thinking about this. I just realized how much God put Jean and I together. I was, Jean was 22, I was 20 when we got married. And anybody who says, don't, don't get married too early, you'll spoil your life. I just say, what rubbish is that? What rubbish is that? What absolute tripe is that? The, the, the word of God is this. It's not good for you to be alone. You have a life in God. And I'm not saying there's not room for signal. Of course, there is also room for all sorts of stuff. The point I'm making is this. To share life. To share life. We live in a world that's independent. The will, the, we live in a world that talks about my career, my fulfillment. No, no, we are community people. The church is... We are an our people. We belong together. We're not independent. We're joined to purpose. And marriage is like that. And interestingly, the church is a picture of marriage. And Jesus in the church is a picture of marriage that I'll see. So don't, don't decry that. But passion. How's your passion? The problem is today it gets a bit subdued. It's like, yeah. Oh, you say, oh yeah, that's nice. Do, anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's okay. Do you get passionate about anything? I can get passionate about a model railway. Not quite like I did with Jean, understand, but... 
Perhaps more. No, no. Passion. Do you get, do you get it? That you think, wow. Whoa, takes my breath away. Wow. God, passion's okay. The right sort. The passion of the church. We here in Jubilee are a local congregation of the glorious church that Jesus is building. What is our passion? What is our preoccupation? Notice I'm leaving what is our purpose question to my last point. You see, we live in a task-driven world where we so easily define our passion and our purpose by the tasks we do. And the, the tasks that need doing. Passion is not about task. Of course there's tasks and we'll get to them. But the bigger question for us is, where is our passion and what motivates our action? What motivates us? What motivates us to press on when the going's tough? What motivates us to keep going when the the tasks aren't being done? You see, the bottom line is, the passion of the church is first and foremost, Jesus himself. The picture of the church as the bride of Christ is clear from scripture. In Ephesians 5.25, where the apostle Paul is telling husbands to love their wives, he tells us to love them as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. As I've said before, a guy called Paul, Bill, Paul E. Bilheimer, actually, wrote a book called Destined for the Throne, which he says, and I'm, I'm quoting from the introduction, his primary thesis is that the one purpose of the universe from all eternity is the production and preparation of an eternal companion for the Son called the Bride, the Lamb's Wife. Since she is to share the throne of the universe with her divine lover and Lord, As a judicial equal, she must be trained, educated, and prepared for her queenly role. It's a great book. I think it's out of print. If you can get a copy, I recommend you do so, but you cannot borrow my copy, because actually mine's falling apart. Literally, the pages are falling out of it. The important thing is this. If Paul Bilheimer is right when he says, in what he's saying, then at the heart of the universe is a love affair between Jesus and the church that he's building. And there are many, many scriptures that would support that. So when we use phrases like, God loves you, oh yeah, it's nice. thank you Lord. God loves you with a passion. God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die in your place. He desires you, he loves you, you are his delight, his passion. Wow. That much? Yeah, that much. Oh. Oh, maybe I'm loved then. I cannot overemphasize how precious the church is to Jesus. He didn't say in Matthew, I will build the church. That would have been okay. But he said, I will build my church. Mine. We belong to Jesus. We are the apple of his eye. He he could say that we are his passion, his desire. Isn't that amazing that we, ordinary us, we are desired by God that much? How do we handle that then? How does it feel to be desired this morning? 
Yeah, okay. It's what makes the world go around this. This is the heart of everything. God so loved the world. He loves us. He desires us. He's jealous for us, the church. It's beautiful. It's glorious. It's wonderful. And if we are his passion, and he loves us with an everlasting love, then what he seeks to do is to win from us. Love. Worship. Delight. Wonder. And service. In response to his love for us, we find ourselves more and more falling in love with him. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. And because he is so amazing and so perfect and so glorious, the more we see of him, the more we know of him, the closer we get to him, so our wonder grows and our love becomes more intense and our glad obedience will just grow and grow because we love to please him and living for Jesus becomes our delight not a chore but our delight now there is a cost to following Jesus for Jesus says in our reading whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And so in, in choosing to follow Jesus, there are choices to be made, issues in our lives to be confronted. We are free, free to make those choices or not. But we cannot be his disciple. We cannot follow him on our terms. That's not the gospel. He says, I've, I've, I've paid the price for your sin. I've, I've broken the power of, this, of your sin. But now, come on, I have a life for you to live as my child, as part of the church. And it's a life of increasing fulfillment and joy and meaning and passion and love. And it's overwhelming. But you can't have it and have your old life as well. You choose which you want. Sounds harsh, but it's not. The Bible offers us life and death. We choose. But his love goes on and on. Choosing him over our own will, over our own self-centeredness is a costly thing to do. But once the choice is made, wow! The joy of knowing him. The joy of having our sin forgiven. The, the joy of being part of the church that he's building. The joy of intimacy with the king of the universe. Who has chosen us to be his very own. We are loved today. Isn't that good? For, for me personally, my passion for Jesus seems to just grow and grow. And it's my passion for him that keeps me serving him faithfully all my days. 
do you remember Jesus talks in the letter in, in Revelation talks to one of the churches it says I have this against you you have lost your first love do you remember that if I remember right I haven't time to look at it now but if I remember right they're doing well they're doing lots of good things but he says I have this one thing against you you have lost your first love we can lose our first love and we can run and we can run and we can do church and we can do church and we can do many things but the day will come when we lose our momentum and we lose interest and we realize we've lost our first love we've lost our first love the sad thing about my, my, I was talking to my brother about the people he was in Bible college with uh, and other leaders I know and, and you know I'm one of the few guys in New Frontiers who seems to be keeping going in his 60s because a lot of them are young and their day will come. But, but loads of them who were my age are no longer in leadership. Because we, came fo- we became focused on task and purpose and how we're going to do this, that, and the next thing. And we, finished, we lost our first love. We start, we start leading the church pragmatically ra- rather than prophetically. Prag- pragmatism comes up with a plan and says, well, we'll do this because it's the obvious thing. That person's available, we'll use them. That's pragmatism. To do it prophetically, here's the the voice of God and says, what's God saying? And God picks out people and God chooses unlikely people. We say, we'll use them and we'll do it this way and we'll do that. Doing it prophetically means sometimes we just wait until he speaks. And people get itchy and frustrated and, and you know what? We just wait. Because leading a church prophetically keeps him as our first love. Keeps him the focus of our attention because we've nowhere else to go. Jubilee Church Teesside, our passion needs to be Jesus Christ. Our passion needs to be him. Our planning needs to be him. Everything about it needs to be what he says. It doesn't mean we don't put our heads and come up with plans. We do, but in the context of what he says, in the direction he points us to go in, we don't come up with our own plans and ask him to bless. These things are so important because our passion for him will keep us serving faithfully all our days. The only thing in the end that will cause the church to fulfill its eternal purpose is a passionate love for Jesus. I, I, I have a, such a... I realize over Christmas just how much I, I have a long longing in my heart to see Teesside transformed by the gospel. A longing in my heart. Do you think I can, I can, we can do that pragmatically? No. I, I, that's why I love what Lucy said. It's about, it's about Jesus. It's about people seeing Jesus. It's about Jesus dancing over Teesside and people coming, oh, look, it's Jesus. Oh, he's the King of Kings. It's people coming, oh, wow, their lives being transformed by our wonderful Lord. That's the only answer for Teesside. Let me get to my last point. The purpose of the church. Ties into the, t- turns at the point before, 
without a shadow of a doubt, our number one purpose as the people of God is to worship. Let me read again what Peter says to us in 1 Peter 2.9. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. At the very core of the church's existence is the call to worship, is the call to live for him and love for him. Worship is to be the eternal motivator of all we do as the people of God in this world. I was wrestling with this a little bit and saying, oh God. And he just said, yeah, it's tough, but this is part of your worship, isn't it? Oh, yeah. This isn't a sermon for Sunday. This is for Jesus. Oh, yeah. That's our motivator. And so I dug in a bit, bit deeper. Had a stronger cup of coffee. Jesus is building us so that we together can reach out to a broken world with the love and compassion of God himself. The Apostle Paul says to us in Ephesians 3, verses 10 and 11, God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, it's through us the church, that people will come to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's through us, the church, people will come to know how much God loves them and that Jesus died for them. And it's through us, the church, as we share the gospel, that the door into the kingdom of God is flung wide open for all who would put their faith in trust in him. Now, some may ask, yeah, Jesus built his church, but surely Jesus also built his kingdom as well. No. He doesn't. The kingdom of God is anywhere where he rules and reigns. His kingdom is extended through the work of the church, but God's kingdom already exists. It doesn't need building, it needs demonstrating. See, as soon as we're born again, the rule and reign of God comes central into our lives. And we say, I choose to live for your glory and honor. That's what it means to be born again. It's not like, oh, I've, I've got saved now, I can do what I like. No, no, he's become my Lord. Okay? He, he, that means, he's the, as, as Watchman Nee in his book said, he's become the resident boss. I like that phrase. He's now my Lord. I live for him. He's my passion. He's my desire. I choose to live for him. So important. So important. But the kingdom of God has come there. Then. If, if, if he's my Lord and he rule and rules and reigns in my heart, the kingdom has come. That's what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is within you. So if I go... Jesus is my Lord. I go into the workplace. Let's say I'm still working for the Hammond Organ Company. I go into the Hammond Organ Company. Then in I go. And the kingdom of God comes into that place. Because I'm there. 
The kingdom of God comes into the place of your work. The kingdom of God comes into your school. The kingdom of God comes because you are there, because the kingdom of God is within you. We don't build the kingdom, we demonstrate it. We take it places. Does that make sense? So different from the church. Some people say, oh, the church is irrelevant. It's all about the kingdom. No, no, no. It's about Jesus and his church demonstrating a kingdom to a lost and dying world. So Jesus says to Peter, and in doing so, he says to all the disciples and to us as part of the church he's building, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So the church, this people of God that we are a part of, have been given the keys of God's kingdom so that we can open the door of this kingdom to the world and say, come in. Come into a kingdom of love. Come into a kingdom where the authority of God has full sway. Come into a kingdom where where you are loved and cared for and provided for. Come into this kingdom. But understand, as you come into this kingdom, there's no room. Sin will have to go. It has to be paid for. Oh, he's just paid for it for you. But you come into a kingdom of purity, of holiness, of righteousness. Kingdom where Jesus, Jesus is Lord. We say, come in. But so the, we, we, we open the doors of the kingdom or close them to a lost and dying world. We don't open the doors of the kingdom by compromising as some of the stuff you hear about, oh Lord, some of the stuff that's going on with the Church of England and the way people are debating stuff on the news. Lord, help them. It's what I say. People are asking the wrong questions. One, one Anglican vicar is saying, well, the church is sort of touch with the, morals, the moral status of today. We need to get in line. How rubbish is that? The world needs to get in line with what Jesus says. The world needs to get in line with the kingdom of God. And so we bring the kingdom to a lost and dying world. We open the door of the kingdom, but also we close the door of the kingdom to compromise. We close the door of the kingdom to anything other than God's word, what God says is true. And that's unpalatable, unpalatable, and some people won't like that, but it's the truth. It doesn't mean we don't keep loving. It doesn't mean we don't keep caring. But what we don't do is compromise to try and make, make it attractive. The kingdom of God is ever so attractive, but it's ever so costly. Take up our cross and follow Jesus. Well, okay, do I, do I have to kind of have that Jesus and what I want? No, you can't, actually. That's not the gospel we, gospel we proclaim. You do it God's way or your own way. You have choices to make. And then when we get baptized, we get baptized, and as we go under the water, we come up and we say, I now live for Jesus. I've got baptized, and he is now Lord of my life. I have made the choice. He's the boss. That's what baptism is all about. It's not just a wet thing. It's not just an experience where we say, oh, well, I got baptized, I kind of believe. No, no, it's a radical moment where we declare publicly that Jesus is now Lord and King of my life. Now, after that, we find we stumble along and have to be reminded, and God's full of grace, and you know what? His grace covers all our sin, but we never compromise for a moment on the truth. And so we open the door of a kingdom and say, I dare you, I dare you to come in here. 
I dare you to come into this wonderful kingdom. But if you come in, you come in on, on the terms that God sets. And the terms for the kingdom are Jesus Christ and him crucified. We'll bless you. The kingdom of God will bless you and the kingdom of God will care for you and the kingdom of God will look after you. But if you want to come right in, it's on the terms that God has set. And that is Jesus Christ, his son. He taught us to pray, didn't he? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so as we do that, we open the door of a kingdom by proclaiming the good news of Jesus. We reach out to the poor and the needy and the whole world and demonstrate the love of our God. We demonstrate the love of God who sent his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. As we, the church, live out what it means to be the people of God on the earth today, so the world will be changed, Teesside will be changed, Jesus will be revealed, his church will be built, and his kingdom extended over all the earth. That's our purpose. So just quickly to sum up, the church is built on Jesus, and by him, he is our foundation. Jesus is our passion, and that shapes all that we do. And worshipping Jesus, in the broadest sense, is our, pers- is our purpose. And as we do that, so the world will come to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Hallelujah. Let's stand, shall we? Tonight at the prayer meeting, we're going to going to pray for the church in Teesat. I was thinking about praying for a lot of requests that we have as a church, like our own building. And